direct from Cape Gun Works in Hyannis. You're listening to Rapid Fire Radio with your host, Toby Leary. I'm Toby Leary from Cape Gunworks. I'm passionate about all things Second Amendment. While I love to shoot... Going hot. There is so much more to guns than just pulling the trigger. A free and armed society is a responsible and self-reliant one. Join us to talk all things guns, freedom, and self-defense. It isn't just about being armed... It's about being responsibly armed. So load and make ready. This is Rapid Fire. What's up, everybody? Toby Leary here, and it's time for your favorite show of the week, Rapid Fire. <laughs> and I apologize for yesterday. Uh, things were crazy. I did cover for the Grace Curley show, so it was a little tough getting back in time in order to be a part of that. But anyway, um, <clears throat> enough said about that. Done apologizing in my life. How about that? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I appreciate you guys, your time, and uh, the fact that you enjoy the show uh, makes me want to do it. So here we are. Um, so long story short, we are on the wrong day and have a lot to talk about. This first hour, we're going to try to get into a bunch of the nuance of what's going on out there in gun world. Second hour, we got Representative Stephen Ixaros, who is going to be stopping by to talk about um, the upcoming conference committee that has yet to be set and what we can expect from that. I'm not sure how much he knows or doesn't know, but um, we're going to get into the nuance of that. We're going to also talk about my meeting on Monday with the uh, senators that I, I had a meeting with a couple of senators, gave them a tour of my facility, told them what it looks like to be a gun owner in Massachusetts. I want to give you some good feedback on what transpired with that. Um, we're going to talk about... Uh, a bunch of the legal challenges going on around the country, uh, some of the news. One of the things, just to start off kind of light, is the the fact that <clears throat> this is a heavy subject, so it's I don't know how light it's going to be, but the Kansas City Super Bowl parade shooters, um, they're really slow walking who the perpetrators are and makes you wonder why. And the excuse they're saying is, oh, you know, they're underage. Well, someone aptly pointed out online that Kyle Rittenhouse was underage when he shot three people in self-defense. 
And the media got that narrative all wrong, said he shot three black people, which he didn't. And um, the, the bottom line is he was underage, but yet they plastered him all over the news, all over the all over the uh, internet, all over their, you know, they led with stories and they even called in a question that he was underage with an AR-15 and et cetera, et cetera, and all that. So the bottom line is in Kansas City, they're not really even revealing who the people are. And they're saying, oh, it's they're underage. You know, you can't have it both ways. You can't plaster one guy's face in the news and say, He's a responsible adult, and therefore we're going to tell you his name and give you the dirty details on him. And then in another case, say, oh, they're underage youth that, you know, we can't reveal their name. And then the third scenario is charge them as adults. They're making adult decisions like carrying guns and shooting at people in public that's kind of an adulty thing to do, right? That's what a, some adults do who aren't very smart. But anyway, the bottom line I say is that there's more to this story than they're not leading on to. Um, I bet that the shooters don't fit the media narrative that they love to promote on the evening news of how the shooter was some racist, angry, white, male who is a Christian and, you know, part of the neo-Nazi party or something. I'm just making it all up. Fill in the blank of all the talking points that the media loves to lead every mass shooting news story with. As soon as those boxes can't get checked along the way, well, shoot, let's bury this story down on the bottom and not reveal who these people are. Same reason we still don't have the manifesto from the Nashville shooting as officially released. Fortunately, we had some brave people within the uh, police department that decided to take some cell phone pictures of the manifesto and release it. And I think that they got the point across of why they didn't want us to see it. But I promise you one thing, if it was some, uh, you know, militia guy or some proud boy or some, uh, you fill in the, the group, they would have, they would have plastered it all over the news. They would have had pictures, mug shots. They would have had um, the, the type of weapon that was used. They would have, said where he got the weapon and try to hold the guy responsible who sold him the weapon in the first place. And, and, um, it, you know, it would have been this huge chain of, um, events that would, have they would be leaving no stone unturned and no rock uncovered, whatever the saying is. But, um, <clears throat> so yeah, that's, amazingly they're amazingly silent on that uh whole whole thing and you know people want to say see here's another example of how if you didn't have the gun this wouldn't have happened and that's you know anti-gunners ignorance at on full display because 
you got the Waukesha, Wisconsin guy who, uh, this aspiring rap artist, um, who took his Ford Escape and drove it into a crowd with children and everything else. The net result was actually worse than what happened in Kansas City with a gun. And they don't want you to think along those lines that, hey, there was somebody who did a worse thing with a car than the gun. Um, but I I think it's important to continue to draw those parallels and continue to put that at the forefront and and show people that, you know what, it's not the object that you need to worry about. It's the violent individual. It is the mentally disturbed, criminally insane, evil person, and not necessarily in that order, but one of the three, pick one, and the net result is usually the same. But So there's that. And it doesn't meet typical gun control narratives because it was underage people who had no business having those guns. So it proved that they obviously get them on the black market. It proves that they, uh, you know, this isn't the fault of some lawful, responsible gun owner who's just running uh, afoul of the law and getting into some altercation over a parking spot or something like that, which they love to say is going to happen when you have uh, constitutional carry, et cetera. But um, so we'll see what happens with that and, and those details as they emerge. Uh, I know the mayor of Kansas City said, if you want to see their mugshot, you're a racist. What? That's right. He says, if you want to see their mugshot, you're a racist. And it's like, no, I want to see the mugshot because that person needs to have his face plastered. And especially when he's sentenced, showing him going to jail. That's why it's important. Not because I care what color skin they skin color they have. So it has nothing to do with race. I don't care if he's black, white, red, purple, blue, or all of the above. Uh, I want to see justice. I want to see swift and severe justice. The mother who died should her family should see swift and severe justice. Um that's a that's a true story right there. Nobody should have to sit here and see that the people that did this are being their their stuff is being slow walked, you know, and the the details of why they did it and who, who they who did it is being slow walked because it doesn't fit some national gun control agenda. One thing I've noticed as I'm perusing through all of the stories out there around the nation who there's this explosion, if you will, of gun control being introduced in some free states, but also other traditionally rock solid um, free states. Like uh, I would say most of them are happening in banned states like Maryland, New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, California, right? 
We've also seen Washington, Illinois, which is another one that's uh, really a, a big one. Um, we saw uh, Idaho. Uh, we saw where else did gun control pass recently? But the, um, where I'm headed with this is Pennsylvania, a place that's usually a very good Second Amendment society. Um, is now stepping up to the plate and, you know, with their version of gun control. And we're, we're just seeing it pop up throughout the country. And the one thing you're seeing universally ignored in all of these gun control cases is the lack of deference or the lack of... Uh, respect for the First Amendment. I mean, for the uh, Supreme Court, excuse me. Um, we saw Hawaii. Hawaii's Supreme Court basically is trying to overrule the Supreme Court of the U.S. and say they got Bruin wrong. Sorry, it's not your job. The job isn't open and you don't get to rule like that. So basically they came out and said, you know, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that um, based on Hawaii's tradition and history, uh, being able to ban people from carrying weapons is consistent with the Aloha spirit. And so I point all that out to point out this. There's some serious consistencies with all of these gun control bills. I have suspected that the language in starting out in HD 4420 and becoming H4139 and then the three Senate bills and whatever it is now, uh, I can't even remember, to be honest with you. Um, <clears throat> there is one thing that is incredibly consistent between all of them. And if you look at Illinois bill, if you look at Washington's bill, if you look at uh, Maryland's bill and New York's bill and California's bill, there's incredible consistencies. Um, even when like the 98 uh, in Massachusetts, they made the assault weapons ban permanent. What'd they do? They adopted the federal ban. They adopted the language of the federal ban. But Here's what I'm where I'm going with this is it's becoming more and more apparent that the people who are writing these bills, I am sure, are lobbyists or advocates for gun control, and they are submitting them to the senator or the House of Representatives candidate of their choice in order to introduce it because people who vote on these bills don't know anything about what's in the bill. So they are relying heavily on whoever introduces the bill. I found it extremely disheartening and insulting that Michael Day's office had no clue what was in HD 4420 when they first introduced it. Had no clue what was in H4139. They claimed to they talked some talking points with me, but when I tried to pin them down about certain aspects of the bill, they were ignorant of it. And I'm just a layman. 
I'm not a legislator by trade. I am a casual observer of the law that they are you know, uh, trying to pass. And it's pretty obvious for me to see and pick out where they're A, unconstitutional, B, written by people who don't understand guns and how they work, and C, extremely consistent with the Brady group or the Giffords group or the Everytown group or the mayor's group, whoever the gun control group is and whoever their probably law firm that represents them or their lobbyists that they hire is, is probably the ones writing the language in the bills that are then used throughout the country. There's this web of, you know, you look at one bill, um, and then all of a sudden, the bill over here in another state has identical language. Are they copying and pasting? Are they cutting and pasting? Or are they all drawing from the same well? I have a feeling it's the latter. And it's the people who write them checks in order to get reelected. And this was most telling when you see Michael Day with his you know, arm around Gabby Giffords in his office. I'm sure they were serving up a nice reelection check uh, and oh, by the way, here's the legislation that would like you to inter introduce. So this is pay for play type of access to these legislators. Uh, I mean, this is a hunch. I'm not, I don't have empirical evidence of this. Just the fact that it's consistent throughout the country. Some of the language in the bill uh, before the House and the Senate has language that has never been even discussed in Massachusetts before. Uh, going down to a one-feature test, for instance, that was never a thing. And what is the what is the need for this other than to ban guns and make it harder for lawful and legal? and responsible gun owners to be able to exercise their right to keep and bear arms. We all know that's the end goal. We really do. And I tried to get that from the couple of senators that I spoke to on Monday. They didn't quite go there, but they also sh tipped their hand in that the fact that they didn't know anything of the bill that they voted for. So anyway, we will be right back after this. I'm Toby Leary. You're listening to Rapid Fire. Don't go away. Vortex offers the very best optics specifically made for shooters with rugged construction designed for extreme environments. Vortex Optics build quality ensures accurate, reliable, and repeatable performance every time you squeeze the trigger. Add fully multi-coated lenses and nitrogen purging, and you have a quality optic with an extremely reasonable price tag. That is the Vortex difference. Come into Cape Gunworks to see the full line of Vortex Optics today. All right. Sorry about the glitchiness of that. Hopefully it wasn't glitching out as bad on your end as it was on my end, but uh, it was glitching pretty bad. So I don't know what's going on. Been a couple of days of gremlins at the at the helm. So I don't know if I just have too many tabs open on my computer or what, but I usually am like, you know, have the world at my fingertips here. So uh, anyway, welcome back. Uh, I'm Toby Leary. You're listening to Rapid Fire, your weekly show, all things guns, free, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. 
sponsored by Vortex Optics and the USCCA. If you go to the uscca.co forward slash rapid fire, you can sign up and get a very special deal from the USCCA. Uh, they are putting on some phenomenal packages out there uh, for their membership, and they have a huge library of resources and training. So, um, yeah, that would be great if you guys uh, head over there. If you haven't sought legal protection, you don't want to wait till it's too late. So do it. I am not a big insurance guy. All right. I am not. If I could opt out of all insurance, I would. But USCCA is cheap and cheerful insurance and the benefits of membership far outweigh the cost. So uh, it's worth it to do it. So jump on uh, today and, and sign up. USCCA.co forward slash rapid fire. All right. Um, so I was on a little bit of a rant there. And uh, I, I am probably, it probably doesn't take a real intelligent human being to see the consistencies between all these gun control bills across various state lines. And then to see the ones that are added in Massachusetts to our current gun control and uh, assault assault weapon ban um we we basically know that the the consistent language of these is is a national push to to see weapon bans become the the law of the land the one thing i don't see as i mentioned before is any deference or any respect given to the supreme court which says you have to look at all Second Amendment cases or legislation through the lens. Now, this was more of a instruction to the lower courts, but it's also a set of instructions to the legislatures who are have to write law because it tells you whether it's going to stand the test of time or not. And if it isn't going to stand the test of time because you're not putting it through the text, history, and tradition test of the Bruin and Heller mandates or methodologies, then you're wasting everybody's time and money. So let's cut to the chase. I'm talking with two state senators. Obviously, they voted for this legislation. I've, I've educated them now on what it means to the lawful legal gun owner in Massachusetts, what it means to making our streets safer. and one of them used this, the term, the sentence, and you hear this a lot. And when you're trying to focus the attention of what would actually make a difference, how do we make a difference on the streets of Hyannis, where my company is, or on the streets of fill in the blank, wherever you live, the communities. And they even acknowledged the pinpoint locations of most of the violence in our state and negative outcomes with a firearm. And once I start to hone in on things that will make a difference, you, you get the canned response of, well, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. What does that mean? That means we can do that and we can fix the gun stuff. Well, what are you fixing? 
Are you trying to fix the Second Amendment because you don't agree with it and you think guns should only be centralized in the hands of uh, government or police? That usually doesn't end well. Or are you really trying to say that you believe the things you're proposing will make our streets safer? Because we should have that conversation and I'm all ears. I'll sit there, you know, I'm all ears as to how that's going to accomplish that task. A, it's not efficient. B, it's impossible because you're targeting the people who aren't committing the crimes. I'm preaching to the choir here. You guys are in the echo chamber. You know what I'm saying is true. You've heard it a million times. You've heard me rant about it a million times. But I'm trying to put it in the context of talking to somebody who either doesn't understand it, they're ignorant of it, or they're willfully ignorant of it. They're dumb on purpose because knowing too much means now they're accountable to that. And they, you know, they they're looking at it with their eyes wide shut because once they have the knowledge of, oh, this doesn't work and yet they vote for it anyway, that kind of hurts their conscience. It sears their own conscience with a hot iron. Um, that's what being willfully ignorant is. It, it means you're choosing to ignore facts. It's your choosing to not look at a certain data point because you don't like where that's headed. You don't like where the outcome of that points. So um, one of the ways I, so let's go back to the walk and chew gum at the same time. That's not an answer. Uh, we can, if if the true intent of this bill is to reduce crime, then it it fails miserably. Let's talk about how to reduce crime. If you want to talk about how to infringe upon people's right to keep and bear arms, let's do that um, because that's exactly what this bill does. Um, so I try to narrow people into a point of thinking that will, if they won't look at the data, it'll still draw them into the same logical conclusion by thinking, right? Or by thinking about it a different way. So I said, <clears throat> could you, if you got enough senators and enough uh, representatives to gather around this bill that you're going to introduce, that's going to ban Catholics in the state of Massachusetts because they're not a preferred religion uh, because they picket abortion clinics you know, we've had issues in the priesthood uh, with the with with the clergy. Um, you know, they their speech sometimes isn't the most woke speech that we like and want to hear, and we want preached and taught. Um, they certainly have a very narrow view of uh, life that you know, marriage is between a man and a woman, that type of thing. So, I'm not going to get into the nuance of the Catholic religion. I'm just pointing out this is a religion that you could take as a, for instance, you got enough support in the Senate, you got enough support in the House, you pass a bill. Can you do that? Constitutionally, could you pass a bill that would ban Catholicism in Massachusetts? Almost in unison, they both shook their head and said no. But that's the very thing that you've done with the Second Amendment. The argument of prior to Heller was because 
there's other guns available to you for the free exercise of your right to keep and bear arms. We can ban handguns in District of Columbia. They could ban handguns because, well, we're not really, you know, barring you from exercising your right to keep and bear arms because you have shotguns and rifles you can get. You can buy those. And we have the same thing happening here in Massachusetts. The argument in banned states now is we're not depriving anyone of their right to keep and bear arms. There's thousands of other guns that they can buy. As long as it's on this list, as long as it's on an approved weapons roster, they can buy those guns. But I want a Glock 19 and I'm not a cop. I'm sorry, you're going to just have to buy one of the guns on this list and we're not depriving you of your right because you have selection, you have other options. Well, that's the argument I'm making with the religion. You you have Islam, you have Hindu, you have Buddhism, you have Hare Krishna, you have Baptist, you could become a good old Southern Baptist, you could, you know, become a Mormon, you could become a Jehovah's Witness. You know, you just can't be a Catholic, but you got other options. There's plenty of other, we're not depriving you of your right. We're not depriving you of your freedom of religion because you got other religions you can use. You can, you can have, you just can't have this one. That's what they're doing with the second amendment. And once I said that, they instantly locked up and said, well, no right is absolute. You can't, this is the typical top talking point. No right is absolute. You can't yell fire in a crowded building and, you know, that's the, the no right is absolute part is one of my favorite com comeback lines because they love to just, you know, pull the pin off that grenade, chuck it in. And that's the end of the discussion. No right is absolute. You can't yell fire in a crowded building. Well, why can't you yell fire in a crowded building? I'll tell you why. Because it will cause a stampede of people being trampled to death underfoot as they're headed for the exits. That's why it is a public safety issue. And there is history to prevent public safety issues in our country. And one of the big public safety issues in our country that is threatening us with great bodily injury and harm is government's lack of will and willing, lack of willingness to do their job and to lock up the violent element of society. I said, guys, we got it right for 200 years, almost 200 years. I'd say 1934 was when things started to go south. But we got it right for almost 200 years where you broke the law, you're a violent criminal, you're convicted, you went to jail. You went to jail for a while not just six days or not just, you know, three years if you're a 30-time felon in, with a possession charge. Um, you went to jail for a long time. In some cases, you got the death penalty. That is swift and severe justice for violent offenders in society for the public safety benefit of all. It's not just to punish the criminal and reform the criminal. In fact, that's very low. And we know the recidivism rate is so low because it doesn't really work. The revolving door justice system 
And even if you have them do hard time, may or may not work. You have to have a change of heart. You have to have a come to Jesus moment. You have to have something to replace your evil and wayward ways in order to truly reform and change. And if you don't have that, you know, chances are you're going to default to what you know. You're going to, the lowest common denominator, the easiest, the path of least resistance in your life is doing what you know, good, bad, or indifferent. And so I know this is a very heady and intellectual argument and conversation, and it's hard to have the ability to rebut the one word hand grenade or the one phrase hand grenade of no outright is absolute. And Joe Biden loves to follow that up with you couldn't own cannons after, you know, the country was founded. Uh, yeah, you could. Privateers own ships full of them. And you couldn't, uh, you couldn't, uh, what, what's his other? Oh, and then the other part of that is there aren't any deer walking around the woods with a bulletproof vest. Uh, no kidding. And my AR-15 is not for to put food on the table, although it does a very good job of that. I've killed two deer with AR-15s, two different ones, a 308 and a 6.5 Grendel. And they were very good at that. Um, and unlike uh, Joy Behar says, I had plenty of meat to eat as a result. Uh, they say like, you know, you can't shoot a deer with an AR-15 because it'll vaporize it. It destroys everything. You can't, that's why they don't hunt with them. No, they don't hunt with typical AR-15s because it's not legal or lawful to in most states because it's not considered a humane kill. And when I tried to explain that to the senators on Monday, they said, so you're saying it'll kill a person. It just won't kill a deer because they're too big. I said, no, it'll kill a deer, but it's gonna, you, you might shoot it and it might run off a quarter mile or a half mile away and die somewhere else, and you might never find it. So it's not a humane or ethical kill. So um, hunting rounds are way more powerful than the dreaded AR-15. And they are making AR-15s in hunting calibers now for people to hunt where my 308 came from, the whole conversation about the 308. But anyway, the point I'm trying to make here is we need to start to think about how to talk to people who are traditionally against gun control or against guns and start to make parallels and comparisons to other rights. I made that comparison with the First Amendment. You can also make it with the Fourth Amendment. Can government now charge a fee and sell a license for my Fourth Amendment protection against illegal searches and seizures? I've used this argument for decades, but do you think you have the constitutional authority to make your Fourth Amendment protections a licensed right? It's a yes or no answer. Do you think you can pass a law that says in order to have Fourth Amendment protections, you are going to have to take a government-mandated class, you are going to have to pay a fee, you're going to have to get fingerprinted, photographed, Learn in the class what is a government-approved way of exercising those rights, what you can and can't do, how you have to you know, present your home and your business and yourself and your car so that it doesn't get searched and seized. And 
after you take that government mandated class, after you've been fingerprinted and photographed, after you've paid a fee, now you have to get background checked and you have to wait anywhere from one to three months for the ability to have that license granted. And if you're found to be unsuitable, they don't have to issue the license and therefore you would be unable to have your Fourth Amendment protections. And while you're waiting for the, the license to come in, you're also not afforded the right to have your Fourth Amendment protections. So once you get the license, you can post it on your door and the police, when they show up to ransack your house, will see it and say, that guy's paid the fee, he's done the class, he has a right to, to have Fourth Amendment protections. There's not a legislator on earth that thinks the co that the Constitution gives them that right or authority. But somehow, they have it magically when it applies to the Second Amendment. And the, the Second Amendment says, shall not be infringed. Those four little words, shall not be infringed. So, <laughs> thank you, uh, Charlie. Uh, John Petrolino's welcome to steal it. Uh, plagiarism's the highest form of flattery, right? <laughs> um, I'm just saying that's, uh, I think if you can paint the picture of how the Second Amendment has become the second class right, it has become, as Clarence Thomas put it, a disfavored right, then now all of a sudden, they have to think about it. They have to say, hmm. And I, I said it before. I want to say it again. Uh, the I, I, I actually tweeted it. I'm going to just find my tweet because um, the Madison, James Madison in the Federalist Papers really spells it out amazingly. And he's one of the authors of the Constitution is the... The uh, Federalist Papers number 49 is where we get our um, the, the term constitutional limitations on power. <clears throat> but I really want to show you what the importance of the of the uh, of the uh, that paper is and the importance of the legislature, because that is really where we've gone way wrong. Um, oh, by the way, let's get to the results of last week's poll. The question was, if the Supreme Court takes an assault weapons ban in mag capacity case, will it A, uphold the assault weapons ban in mag capacity laws, B, overturn them, or C, they won't take the case? Uh, 2.5% thought that it would uphold the assault weapons ban. 65.4% think it'll overturn the assault weapons ban and magazine capacity laws. And number three, 32% said they won't take a case. Well, the good news is um, I think the Naperville case in Illinois, I'm sorry, not that one. It's uh, the one in Maryland has some briefs to be submitted on February 27th. So that's good. 
Um, but let's get back to what it, where I was going. I just got distracted by my own Twitter feed. <laughs> All right, here we go. James Madison in the Federalist Papers, number 49. They are distributed and dwell amongst the people at large. This is talking about the legislature. Their connection of blood, of friendship, and of acquaintance embrace a great proportion of the most influential part of the society. The nature of their public trust implies a personal influence among the people and that they are more immediately the confidential guardians of the rights and liberties of the people. Man, do we need those guardians now more than ever before. So the legislature's role is the gatekeeper. It is the wall. It is the, what's that rainbow bridge in uh, the lore there? Uh, what was that called? The Bifrost or something or the, uh, it is the, the do not pass go, do not collect $200. It's the gatekeeper. It's the wall. It is the stop gate of the rights of the people. So the nature of their public trust implies a personal influence among the people. And unfortunately, we've seen an exact mirroring of that, a flipping of the coin to where they think they are doing us a favor by passing laws for our own good. That isn't the way this was supposed to work. That isn't how any of this works. <laughs> you know, uh, like the Facebook lady on that ad, right? That isn't how any of this works. The, the way this works is they go there and they are the good keeper of rights uh, against tyranny against the executive power that would rise and wave their wand and make an edict like on 7-2016 and basically becomes judge, jury, and executioner all in one fail swoop or all three branches of government with one assault weapons ban enforcement notice. That's what the attorney general did. The executive branch of government acted as all three and basically passed new law that has been upheld in court, amazingly. And now they're trying to codify it in this reconciliation of the bill. They acknowledge this is her opinion. And the legal opinion of an attorney general holds some serious weight, obviously. But uh, the fact is, it was never law. And it never will be law unless they pass it. But even if they do, it's unconstitutional law. By the way, you can give me a call if you want, 508-444-2120. Uh, if I'm wrong in any way, shape, or form with anything I just said, take me to task on it. Let me know how I'm wrong. I would love to know how I am wrong in any of the things I just said. And I'm open. My ears are open. But I call balls and strikes how I see them. And uh, I think that is a very obvious infringement, all gun control is. And we're trying to control the wrong population of people. I know why they do it. I'm not an idiot to that fact. 
but getting them to admit why they do it, that's another thing. So anyway, we will be right back. Don't go away. I'm Toby Leary. This is Rapid Fire. Carrying a firearm for personal protection has never been more popular than it is today. The USCCA can help fortify your home, sharpen your awareness, and develop your defensive plan. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up. Your family safety and security is your responsibility. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up for a USCCA membership and get special training, legal advice, and legal protection you and your family need. Woo! Welcome back to Rapid Fire. Toby Leary here, your host. 508-444-2120 is the number. I'm going to be getting to the comments in this segment and uh, look forward to talking to you guys on the chat. If you want to be on the phone with me, once again, the number is 508-444-2120. By all means, the phone lines are open and operators are standing by ready to take your call. So um, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns of anything I just said, by all means, take me up on it. Let's just jump in the chat here. I was about to go down another whole rabbit trail, but I'm not going to do that. Uh, KY says, gun control doesn't matter. Criminals will always find a way to get around it. The left does not realize that. Um, I like to think they do, but I also think that if they do and yet they do it anyway, that's more nefarious than just being ignorant of it. So you're giving them the benefit of the doubt that they they don't realize that criminals will always get guns no matter what. But I think they actually do know that. And that's their vehicle. That's their methodology for get, getting gun control passed and stripping you of your constitutionally protected rights. Because you know what? It works. It's worked for 30 years and or more. The earliest assault weapons ban there in 94, um, that's 30 years ago, right? That it worked then, it wor works now, where people are ignorant of their uh, of their tactics. And the fact remains that they prey on that ignorance. They prey on the emotions and the feelings of, of people. So anyway, uh, Noah says, the Hawaiian spirit of aloha excuse to endorse unconstitutional laws. Yes, that's for sure. Um, <clears throat> uh, let's see. KP, there was two adults charged. I'm not sure if I saw that. One of them had to been in trouble for brandishing a weapon before i did see that uh there were adults charged in that um but the the slow walk is on the rest of them the children and whatnot that's really what i was trying to point out um but yeah and uh thanks for tuning in asd from the north shore uh and aaron i'm glad i was able to answer your question yesterday on the phone um let's see Marcus says, I've 
been to a few stores that can build an AR for me with a pinned and welded muzzle and a pinned stock. My question for me is, are these legal to own in mass? I'm no legal expert, Marcos, so take this for what it's worth and the amount that you paid for this legal advice, uh, which is zero. So it, that's about what it's worth. But technically, under the letter of the law, I think it's legal. Under Maura Healy's edict, which has yet to, yet to be codified into law, which the House and the Senate are both trying to do, um, it would definitely become illegal. But here's the truth, and the reality is um, she has reserved the right to come after you if you do not comply with her enforcement letter to dealers, which had, took place on 7-20-2016, the day that'll live in infamy. And uh, I, um, <clears throat> it's a day that I still remember like it was yesterday as I took, it was the one day I, a year I take off in the middle of the week and, you know, go to do something else. So I was actually golfing with my family and I get this call from Brendan panicked, like, dude, I don't know what's going on, but you got to get here. This place has a line out the door and down the street. And I'm like, what is going on? And yeah, sure enough, her edict had come out. So all that being said, if you listen to her edict, no, you can't. If you read the law, yes, you can. Her edict has enforcement behind it. I don't know if anyone has been charged with possession of an AR-15 that's been massified since 2016. That was a post-Healy ruling AR that has either come into the state or someone built from a lower or whatever. I don't know if anyone's been specifically charged with possession of an assault weapon or something in, to that nature. Uh, that'd be a good question for maybe Jason Guida or something like that. Maybe we'll look into that. So I know that a lot of people get jammed up with high capacity magazine and, and assault weapon cases for not being licensed, but or for having high capacity magazines, et cetera, et cetera. And believe me, I know I'm using their language. That's not something I'm proud of. I'm doing it because that's what's been codified into our law. And in our law, it says assault weapon. In our law, it says high capacity magazines. So I get the nuance that they are standard capacity magazines and they are, um, in fact, not assault weapons. They are guns that are in common and ordinary use for offensive or defensive purposes. So they can be used for assault or they can be used for defense, period. And therefore, they cannot be banned. So let me get to some of the notes here. I'm going to see if I have any other relevant comments. Hello, Massachusetts sucks. Okay. <laughs> uh, those anti-gun bills are almost exclusively written by the mom's demand action. Noah, do you have 
empirical evidence of that? Or is that just a hunch? I think your sus suspicions are correct, but that's all it is, a suspicion. I think you that see their like, literature, like it Matthew mirrors said, a lot of it, but that's that's not what I'm, I'm looking for right now. I'm looking that, for evidence, but it doesn't really matter. Um, let's see. Uh, he knew that everything in the bill referred to high-capacity deadly weapons, which included BB and pellet guns. That's interesting. I don't know. I didn't see that language, but... Uh, <laughs> uh, what's the chance they just throw out the bill? Boy, that's a great question. I don't think that's... something that will happen... It's definitely something that could happen. And I'm just spitballing here, but I'm going to say it's probably in the 10 to 15 percentile. I, I don't think it's zero because Senate and the House are still at very big odds at, with each other. Senate doesn't like a lot of the language in the in the House bill. And the House is trying to peacock and throw their chest out and say, this is what we're doing. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Let's see. <laughs> Thank you, Frosty Spoons. I appreciate that. Uh, maybe we need to ban freedom of speech because it, encourages critical thinking we need sheep just like orwell intended exactly um let's see and uh this is from riding shotgun with charlie thanks for listening charlie and if you guys aren't following riding shotgun with charlie shame on you uh you gotta you gotta check out his stuff it's awesome um i've been in the uh in the what is it called? The carriage before riding shotgun with Charlie. Um, so I forget what episode I was probably like 143 or something like that. But anyway, it was a, it was a good time. And if you want to hear the whole story of how Cape Gunworks came about, go check out riding shotgun with Charlie and look up Toby Leary, Cape Gunworks, and you'll see it. Um, let's see. Uh, so if this bill passes, we're not going to get into the what ifs. Um, oops, sorry, Davey. I didn't mean to click on yours. Uh, Boston Rob, we're not going to we're not going to get into the what ifs right now because the what ifs are all over the map. They've reached every. You know, you look at the House bill, you look at the Senate bill. Two vastly different bills, and a lot of the worst of that could come out of the final bill so we could sit here and round table and spitball and whiteboard all the what ifs um but yeah i actually think if you want to hear my truest opinion or my secret masochistic hope that is that they do the worst that they do what is true, the true intent of their heart 
and they go with, they just adopt. I hope they go back to the original HD 4420 language because A, it'll be easier to defeat in court. B, it will be, uh, yeah, the stagecoach. Thank you. Um, I'm sitting here calling it a carriage. Like we're up in this uh, Surrey going to the theater uh, for the ball. Um, stagecoach, thank you. Uh, but anyway, I hope they they make this worse than anyone ever expected because, frankly, it'll be easier to get it thrown out in court. And B, it will be um, impossible to abide by. So I would rather have 600,000 people thinking they're it's impossible to abide by. So now by sheer numbers, we would have a, um, a disobedience or a rebellion, if you will, to the unconstitutional laws en masse and not just a small percentage of people disobeying. It would be everybody because they just made a bill that's impossible to keep up with, which is largely like what New York's is, right? New York's is definitely impossible to keep up with. And so, um, yeah, that's all uh, That's all the good stuff right there. But you can hit that light right there, brother. Um, <clears throat> so that's that's what I think. But we'll, we'll find out uh, from Rep. Xaros on the other side. Uh, oh, no, that's too bad. Um, so, all right, a couple more questions, then we're going to go to break. And when we return, strap yourself in because we got right. Rep X in the house. Let's do it. <laughs> so, uh, when the representative comes on, ask him what he thinks about his former comrades at the Chiefs of Police Association. Oh uh oh, yeah. the questions are getting loaded up right now. So, all right, so let's do this. I'm going to uh, hit the break and, uh, Check out a very cool video by yours truly for this week's Gun of the Week. So uh, we'll be back after this. Don't go away. I'm Toby Leary. Oh, shoot. I hit the wrong button. <laughs> Stand hey, everyone. Toby from Cape Gunworks here and Rapid Fire Radio. And I'm really excited to show you something that I found at SHOT Show this year. As I mentioned, when I go to SHOT Show, I try to find guns that I can sell here in Massachusetts that are new and interesting. This gun's not exactly new, but it's very interesting. And there you have it. It is the Bruger and Thormit, or also known as the B&T. And it runs like a Swiss watch because it's made in Switzerland. <laughs> so this gun is awesome. And I've, I've been a fan of B&T for a long time. These guns are phenomenal. They're very good, ma well-made guns. And uh, this is the SPC. It's a pistol caliber carbine. Like I said, it's made in Switzerland. And some of the features on this gun, which make it super cool, are it has a side charging handle right there that folds and collapses on the side of the gun. It still has like an AR style charging handle. It has ambi controls, bolt catch, mag release, and safety and charging handle, like I said. You can also put this collapsible side charging lever on the right side of the gun if you're a self-paw. And uh, it comes with backup iron sights, which is really cool. And it is true to form, B&T quality, very lightweight, very ergonomic. 
and everything is right there, typical to an AR, but it's not an AR, so we can sell it here in Massachusetts. This one does come with a thread protector that we pin and weld on to make it massified, and uh, it also has a QD sling swivel in the back, and plenty of other options for mounting. As you can see, it has Picatinny rail on the 6 and 12 position and the M-lock rail on the 3 and 9 position. It also has some QD sling swivels holes right in the front of the handguard. So if you're running a two-point sling and you have your mil-spec QD in the back, as I mentioned. So this comes with an MFT stock, which would be pinned to the, your desired length, which makes it a nice package overall. It takes Glock magazines, for those of you who are Glock fans. Um, and other than that, it, it's gonna run like a, uh, a champ because as I mentioned, it's made next to the Rolex factory. No, I just made that up. It's made in Switzerland and uh, really excited. I've shot their guns a couple times when I've gone out to SHOT Show. And uh, this is one of the few that have come through our shop. We have more inbound, so I'm excited about that. Bruger and Thormit is a gun that I've been wanting to see in carbine length. They brought a lot of pistols in early on and now they're starting to come in in, in carbine length so we can sell them here in Mass. So we're gonna take this out on the range and shoot it and see how it goes. I appreciate you guys tuning in. And this week's Gun of the Week is the Bruger and Thormit SPC Pistol Caliber Carbine. I'm Toby Leary. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you on Rapid Fire Radio. Federal delivers a knockout punch with the leading defensive ammo on the market. Federal punch hollow points are accurate and reliable in all defensive situations. When you need reliability designed to provide a balanced mix of effective penetration and expansion, you need punch defensive ammunition from Federal, the leader in nickel-plated brass ammo with a sealed primer to deliver reliable feeding and ignition. Get Federal punch defensive hollow point ammunition here at Cape Gunworks. All right, welcome back. Sorry about the glitch in there. I don't know what's going on. Uh, I got all kinds of glitching going on here. <laughs> so anyway, um, welcome back to Rapid Fire, your weekly show, all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. I'm your host, Toby Leary, and this video is sponsored by the USCCA, great partner of ours, and... Uh, also, the Federal Ammunition and Vortex Optics. So without them, we don't get to do what we do. So I'm really happy to be doing it. And I'm also very happy, let me get you in here, uh, to have in studio with us today is Steve Ixaro, state rep. My state rep, that's right, which I'm very proud to say, uh, is here. Uh, and we tried to make this happen yesterday, but because of my inability uh, to get home from the Grace Curley show in time, 
we I couldn't make it happen. But anyway, I'm glad you make time for us whenever we ask. And and uh, I, I greatly appreciate that, uh, brother. And and I I thank you for all you do for us here, especially the gun owners of Massachusetts. Thank you and your great speech in uh, saying no to this madness that's happening at the state house. So welcome. And uh, by all means, the floor is yours if you want to tell some people uh, what you've been up to, who you are, and how you do it. Absolutely. Thank you, brother. Always proud to be here. Yeah, I represent the Fighting Fifth Barnstable District, which is 45,000 people from West Barnstable to Buzzards Bay, and I love doing it. Prior to that, I was a police officer in Yarmouth. I wore a firearm, body armor, and the American flag proudly for 40 years. And now to be doing this, serving, and still protecting others is, is a blessing, and I love doing it. There's so much going on in, in government and in politics, and I'm here to talk all about it. Nice. Very, very good. Um, so real quick, I just want to, well, let me get to a couple of questions rolling in, because once I get going, there won't be room for anybody else. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. So um, one quick question is more of a, I think, a, a formality, but um, a question from Billy says, can both the House Bill 4139 and the Senate Bill S2572 pass and be law? Or must they be combined to pass as law? So, Great question. That's a great question. A lot of people don't realize how lawmaking works. It's complicated, and it should be. Uh, sadly, you know, the House version was passed, even though I voted against it, and spoke. I took the floor and, and spoke from the heart. Uh, then the Senate version, which is different, uh, that also passed. So you have two bills that passed. That doesn't mean they're law. They're different, which is good. That means they have to go to a conference committee. So sometime soon, six uh, legislators will pick, be picked, hand-picked, hand-selected. It'll be three representatives, three senators, always four Democrats and two Republicans. So that conference committee will be picked. Their job is to look at the bills and try to make one, let's say, and get that to the governor to either be signed or vetoed. So there's a lot more to do. And I think, you know, our followers need to know exactly how it works. And that's a great question. So just as a point of clarification here, the there's literally going to be six people that determine the final outcome of what that bill looks like? Well, what? yes, good question. That committee uh, meets and goes over the two bills and then comes up with their version. It does not go to the governor yet. It still has to be voted on again by the House and the Senate. You know, the new version, you can accept it or not. So... That's where we, and I'll keep you posted, once the committee's picked, we should know who the members are. You could reach out to them. Once they're done and it goes back to the House for a vote and the Senate for a vote, we need to be reaching out to our reps and senators before it gets to the governor. And the other thing is, I think they have until July 31st. So uh, it could go longer than that, but 
um, there is a certain deadline when when that's the end. Well, and do you have a feeling for the pulse of the House and the Senate that they also could just not even uh, establish a, a committee, correct? Or no, does it? Uh, that's a good question. I, that would be up to the Speaker of the House right. and the Senate president, I assume. Uh, for me, I would love to see it just go away. Right. Die on you the know? vine. Yes. <laughs> uh, that's what should happen. Right. Massachusetts has enough enough gun laws. And I'm glad we do. You know, mm. it's important to have some some laws, but this is going too far. Both of those bills and it's avoiding the issue of crime control. It should be crime control, not gun control. Right. Yeah. You know, as a point of I'm going to ask you the same thing. I, I sat down with two state senators who asked to be remained nameless. And for the, the reason was not so much neither one of us wanted to use this as a propaganda opportunity. Um, in other words, they were, came in very openly and wanted to learn about how this law affects us as a company and how it affects the responsible gun owners of Massachusetts. And I was able to, I think, with their undivided attention and not worried about the fact that I'm going to be releasing their name and all that, um, I, I think it was a good meeting and uh, very productive. And they were thankful for my input and my education of them. But at one point, I said to them, and I already said this on the show, so you're going to be getting this. Uh, mm -hmm. Everyone else is hearing it for the second time. Okay. But I said, if you could get enough support in the house and you and the senate came up with their own version of basically identical language um that said we want to ban catholics hmm. there'll be no more catholics in the state of massachusetts and for whatever reason you know hey they're the ones that are always our problem there's dioceses with mm -hmm. whatever problems mm -hmm. and cl clergy and they're always protesting abortion clinics or whatever mm -hmm. I don't really care. That's not, the, I don't want to get sidetracked with the why, but that they had unanimous support or a majority of support for the bill and they could get this passed. Could they, could you do that? Could you pass a bill that would ban Catholics in Massachusetts? What did they say? Well, what would you say? I would say no, you know, right. but uh, that's a great analogy. I haven't heard that. Uh, and I, I, I would back up a little bit. I'm glad you met with those senators because uh the laws are complicated. Bills are complicated. A lot of uh, legislators come to me when it comes to public safety or veterans issues. That's my strength. I go to someone else if it's talking about insurance or something. So it's good that they came to you. They need to learn mm -hmm. how it affects a business, how it affects the Constitution, all that stuff. But, but then how do they vote would be another question. Right. So, so that's my point is they they said the same thing you did no they don't have the constitutional authority to do that but what i was trying to point out was the parallel yes of how far down the, that road we've gone when it comes to guns because we've heard for decades we have this mass approved weapons roster that's been upheld in courts that has said yeah we're not really violating your right to keep and bear arms because you have other options 
The District of Columbia did this with their outright ban of handguns, which was unanimously struck, well, which was a huge uh, Supreme Court decision in 2008, the Heller decision. And they said guns that are in common use, that are ordinary, and that are uh, useful for offensive or defensive purposes cannot be banned. And so they, they set that straight. But that is exactly what has happened to us as gun owners in Massachusetts. They're saying you can have whatever gun you want except the one you actually want. In other words, you can be a Jehovah's Witness. You just can't be a Catholic. Yeah. You can have a, a SIG 226. You can't have a Glock. Yeah. And that, to me, is the same argument that I made about the Catholics. Because it's taken uh, a, a, an enumerated right and it's parsing it out and it's categorizing it that no one would ever make this come to the same conclusion on any other enumerated right. But yet with guns, we lose that ability to reason and logic. And we say, in the very follow-up, when I tried to draw that parallel to it as the same exact situation with the second amendment was well no right is absolute huh. that's the canned answer yeah. is no right is absolute you can't yell fire in a theater and i say uh right and the why is that why can't you scream fire in a theater it's because there's a public safety con contingency to that that people would get stampled uh trampled to death and stampeded on the way out the door right so the public safety element to guns or violence or crime is lock up the criminal absolutely and that's that's what we should be doing right it's 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 kind of basic we used to say it when i was a police officer the laws are there the police god bless them they risk their lives every single day men women and dogs are out there 24 7 putting their lives on the line especially with career criminals all we got to do is think about, you know, my brother, Sean Gannon. That's a story that some people don't like to hear. But how can someone with 125 prior crimes be out on the streets, shoot a police officer because he had two guns illegally, uh, selling fentanyl, and then also shoot a dog? Um, that's an example of the failure of the criminal justice system. And what happens, in my opinion, is... Regular people that make mistakes, we all make mistakes, we learn our lesson. Uh, violent people, they get arrested and they learn, wow, I just got slapped on the wrist. They call that revolving door justice. And that's the problem. I think everybody in the Commonwealth wants to be safe. We all do. We want our kids to be safe. But adding more gun laws doesn't really affect what we're trying to do, we really just have to put these criminals behind bars, whether they're mentally ill, we can help them or not. Some people are just violent and it's sad what people do to other people. Um, and and we will talk more, but also I think as elected officials, we need to publicly stand up for law enforcement. The days of, of disrespecting the police publicly is is leads to more violence. And then they'll say we need more gun control when it's really crime control. Can I read you something that uh, I already read? To, I apologize yeah. to everyone listening who <laughs> listened to me in the first hour. There's a lot of 
um, there's a lot of back and forth. Go ahead. Um, the whole concept of constitutional limitations was first written by James Madison. Yes. He wrote the Federalist Papers. Federal, he was also wrote the Constitution, one of the authors of all the, you know, the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. And he wrote um, in the Federalist Papers, number 49, a, uh, a narrative of what that, what it looks like. He's, and then he shifted. So he talks about constitutional limitations. And then he talks about how it per pertains and applies to the legislature. I want you to hear this. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. James Madison, Federalist Papers, number 49. They, meaning the legislature, are distributed and dwell amongst the people at large. Their connections of blood, of friendship, of acquaintance embrace a great proportion of the most influential part of the society. The nature of their public trust implies a personal influence among the people and that they are mo more immediately, listen to this language, they are more immediately the confidential guardians of the rights and liberties of people. Amen. <laughs> you know, isn't that something so many years ago? And to me, it ties in with the people's house. You know, I get to work in the people's house. That's our house. And, uh, and I guess with me, I'm fortunate to be just an average person who you know, worked his whole life protecting people, serving people. I So I think I have a good connection with the people where others do not. Sometimes I, they've missed that or they think they're better than other people and they know better. I would say you do. You are this personified, if you ask me, the, the connection of blood and friendship yes. and acquaintance. You're always out in the community. You're you're meeting people, you're learning about their business, you're learning about their lives, you're learning about their hurts and their needs. And you you do, this is what you do. You you are true and faithful to that part. The, Thank the, you. The part at the end is really what I would urge all legislators to really take, not take for granted, and take a serious note. And I this is how I ended with one of the senators I met with that they are the confidential guardians of the rights and liberties. And what I see when I see bills like 4139 pass and S2472 pass, they're being unfaithful to that prescription by James Madison by taking that and saying, instead of being the gatekeeper, instead of being the wall, instead of being the guardian of that liberty and that right, they are doing just the opposite. They're they're actually the wolf in sheep's clothing, and they're starting to undermine and eviscerate the the law or the right that they were put there to protect. Yes, it's that's why who you elect is so important. You know, it's you know our founding fathers uh, had it right. The Constitution, Second Amendment. Why is it always the Second Amendment that gets challenged, and why are we adding? more or taking away. I think some of it is people really trying to make others safe uh, and they're just going about it in a way that they don't know what they're actually doing or what the unattended consequences are. For me, uh, there's so much wrong with both bills, 
But I get to talk to a lot of legislatures. They come to me because they don't understand it all. And uh, I always shift back to uh, crime control. Most people think, hey, when you get arrested with uh, shooting someone or having an illegal gun, that you're going to go to prison. Well, that doesn't happen. So it's important to keep talking about that. Fix that. Stop the revolving door justice. No more plea bargaining. You know, when someone is arrested and convicted, they need to be punished and they need to know it's going to come swiftly, promptly. That would make a big difference. Uh, but until then, you know, part of these, either one of these bills is creating those safe zones like we've talked about before. And it's actually the opposite, right? You know that, I know that. But there are people out there that I've listened to, like you said earlier, I actually try to listen. What makes you think that's a good idea? And they're, they're usually afraid. They're afraid of violence. They're afraid of guns. They've never touched a gun. They've never seen one. Or um, they actually think that, okay, if you make a library a gun-free zone, there'll be no guns. Like, there'll be no criminals there. And I say, well, criminals don't follow the law. We need people there to protect us when something bad happens. But they actually think there's people. I think they're naive in some ways. Yeah. I think the perfect example of that, and you're right, we need to support law enforcement. Law enforcement is the one who puts their life on the line. They put the vest on. They put the gun on. They go out on the street every day. And unfortunately for them, arrest the same people over yes. and over and over. And, uh, the you know, the that I think is the most awful part about this type of law and legislation is the fact that um, these police officers have to continually go out and arrest the same guy over and over and over for the same thing over and over and over. And, uh, but, but the perfect example of how just disarming good people leaves the majority of people now at, at a greater risk is that, shooting that took place in Kansas City. We see these criminal gangsters, whatever the heck they are. We don't even know the names of most of them uh, or have seen their mugshots because they're afraid because they're underage, but yet they plastered Kyle Rittenhouse all over every publication on earth when he was 17 and defended himself with a firearm. But I digress. <laughs> they were surrounded by 800 police officers that were present that day. And Yet these two or three or four or five knuckleheads or criminals or gangbangers or mentally ill people, I don't know what the what category they fit into. And I really honestly don't care. Mm. What I care about is the fact that you disarm good people. Those are the people that have guns. And even surrounded by cops, you're still your own first responder. Yes, you know? good, that's a good point. Um Right. Uh, police officers can't be everywhere. Right. Uh, especially when they're constantly being you know, disrespected and things like that. We have less police than we've ever had. It's hard to find people that want to be a police officer, which we we have to fix that. And part of it is the public officials need to stand up for law enforcement when they do something wrong. Educate them, punish them, hold them accountable. But you don't hold the, the whole profession accountable for someone's bad behavior. But that incident in Kansas City, good point. And then I always just talk about what happened right here in Massachusetts in Taunton at the mall with my friend Jim, 
off-duty corrections officer from Plymouth. He's with his wife and family in the mall having dinner. A guy pulls out a knife, starts to kill people. Mm. He kills, he stabs the waitress numerous times. A citizen who's unarmed tries to stop him. He murders him. And Jim takes out his off-duty weapon, not his service weapon, his off-duty weapon that he's comfortable carrying, off-duty, you know, gives out a warning. The man didn't listen, and he took his life Mm -hmm. and ended something horrible from continuing. And James pays that price mentally. It's not easy to take a life, but he's a hero. And if this law passes, James wouldn't have that gun on him. That's and so in a safe zone, let's say, of the mall, who's going to be there to stop someone from doing horrible things? And remember, it doesn't have to be with a gun. Right. It can be a knife. It can be someone just running someone over all those things. Sadly, there are people that have mental illness and they don't realize what they're doing. There's others that they know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. The murder of Sean Gannon knew what he was doing. Right. Yeah. They're just evil people and evil exists. And if we want to put our head in the sand and pretend it doesn't, then we are being disingenuous to to ourselves. And I think that's what can happen. Well, we'll just pass another law. I'm a lawmaker. That's kind of what I know. Right. And let's make another law because things are bad. They don't realize, well, that doesn't really fit this. I do. Mm -hmm. And I can educate others uh, just like you did with those senators. It should be very hard to make a law, and it is. But this thing, I think, is being made for the wrong reasons. Right. It is almost a petulant response to uh, the Supreme Court and their de- their decision with Bruin, and trying to trying to have a little bit of a temper tantrum, saying this is a activist court and i think michael day himself used the words a uh rogue court Hmm. called the the highest court of the land a rogue court yeah and so this is like what hawaii just did they just ignored the whole bruin decision said oh they got it wrong we're we're smarter than them well the job opening isn't (laughs) you know they're not accepting applications right now and the truth of the matter is they set a big precedent and a mandate for all future gun laws and basically are trying to restore what has been trampled upon, as Clarence Thomas put it, as a disfavored right. The Second Amendment has become a disfavored right. It has been treated differently than all the other rights. And up until 2022, it didn't even have a a Supreme Court decision until the the most prior one to that was Caetano, and that was around a stun gun. And the one before that was uh, Heller, which was in 2008. So it's like once every 20 years, we'll get a gun decision. You know, that's how disfavored of a right it had become. The the reason I say all that is they have set a new, uh, and it's not new. I, I, I actually would argue that we got it right in this country for 200 years nearly 200 years. It started to erode in 1934 with the NFA Act, but we got it right because we didn't have to worry about the gun per se because we worried about the violent individual. We locked them up. They were mental. We put them in 
an institution and treated them for mental illness. Uh, some of them got to go out back out on the streets. Others never saw the light of day again because they were a serious threat to themselves or others. And we don't do a good job in that in our society anymore. But who has paid the price is you and I in our rights being eroded in an effort to fix the problem that can never be fixed by our rights being eroded. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. And and, and I say it as um, because of these horrible incidents, nobody wants to see, you know, school shootings or anything like that. Lawmakers thinking, hey, that's what we do. Let's let's look at this and let's make laws so that won't happen anymore. But making a safe zone doesn't fix it. And I think some of them are they have a bad intent. But there's also a lot that just don't know any better. And then there's pressure to to go along party lines. Mm. And that's part of politics. And, right. and I don't play that game. And uh, it's important. What's right? How do we keep people safe? Um, when, when we hear these horrible stories, when people come to Boston like you did and they testify, and I'm on the committee and I'm proud to be there, and they tell stories like, oh, my God, someone was shot or we had seven shootings over the weekend in Boston. The question always was, how many of those are done by licensed gun owners? And the answer is zero. Right. But the average person doesn't follow that. And they just think we need more gun laws. Yeah. And, and that's something that one of the senators said, like, well, you know, if we didn't have guns, then this might not have I said you're never putting that genie back in the bottle. No. And nor should you, because our founders were smart, very smart people. Look at Finland right now. They are proposing to build 300 new gun ranges in Finland, and they want to make it easier for people to acquire firearms. They border Russia, and that is a very real threat to them if they, if they feel like they're going to be invaded. They're getting preemptive. There's serious lessons to be learned from the invasion of Ukraine, from the invasion of Israel. Israel yes. And guess what? It was too little too late. Yes. They had already both disarmed their population. Just, you know, in the last five years, Israel had had disarmed that whole area and they had made it so that if you were an armed professional or had some sort of privilege by being a professional shooter or something like that, you could keep a gun in the house as long as it, you had less than 50 rounds of ammunition present. So they had really shifted on private gun ownership. Ukraine had disarmed their people. And then what happened when the Russians invaded, they were handing out not what we would call semi-automatic rifles or modern sporting rifles. They were handing out machine guns to civilians at the police department. <laughs> Can you imagine? Mm -hmm. In this country where we have a codified and enumerated right in the very fabric of our founding documents, at police departments throughout our country, we have gun buyback programs and we have turn them in programs. But in Ukraine, they were handing out machine guns. Wow. And so desperate and yeah. desperate. And, and, you know, that's something that uh, I hope we we'll never see here. But right. I guess if we still if we keep going down these dangerous roads. Right. Uh, we're different. We have the Second Amendment, right? Yes. And most people, it's not just uh, 
like a certain type of person. There's all kinds of people that enjoy firearms, right? Whether they're hunters or not. I'm not a hunter, but I respect and encourage people that do that. That's wonderful. But I carry because I was a police officer and for self-defense. But also there's something in me that wants to protect others. Mm -hmm. Like James, he could have ignored what was going on. He could have called the police and waited those five minutes, mm. right? But he took action right. and he took action because he's well-trained. And also in that particular case, I think it's important to point out, it wasn't his duty weapon because some of these bills talk about, well, a police officer will be able to carry their duty weapon off duty. Mm. It should be whatever weapon you or I are qualified and legal to carry. Mm. And people need to understand sometimes uh, weapons are hard to carry off duty, especially depending on if it's summertime and where you, you know, clothing and things like that. So James had his own weapon. He's a hero. And he stopped something horrible from getting worse. Absolutely. We're having a fascinating discussion with Representative Steve Xaros. Uh, from the Fighting Fifth Barnstable District, uh, my state rep. So we got more to talk about on the other side. So don't go away. We will be right back after this. Federal delivers a knockout punch with the leading defensive ammo on the market. Federal punch hollow points are accurate and reliable in all defensive situations. When you need reliability designed to provide a balanced mix of effective penetration and expansion, you need punch defensive ammunition from Federal, the leader in nickel-plated brass ammo with a sealed primer to deliver reliable feeding and ignition. Get Federal Punch Defensive Hollow Point Ammunition here at Cape Gunworks. All right. Technical difficulties galore and no big deal. <laughs> We're going to overcome. That's right. We're going to keep rolling here with uh, Steve Xaros. He is, uh, I think you're still a fresh, are you a freshman? I'm a sophomore. You're a sophomore. Yeah, All right. Second term. Second term. Nice. And, uh, running for reelection. I yes. just signed his papers. Yes. Thank you. And, uh, yep. So, uh, every time you run, you got to get nomination. Papers, yeah. Every, right? uh, we serve for two years, senators and, and representatives. So every two years you run for a reelection and you have to get 150 signatures from people in your district that are verified and that gets you on the ballot. So that's right. what I, I have to do for the next few weeks. I've been there, done that, and I don't <laughs> envy you. <laughs> I'm lucky. People have been so good. And um, it, the people are supportive. And, and I think they, they were appreciative of like someone just having their back. Mm. Yeah. I, uh, I'm appreciative that not only do you have our back, but you're accessible yes and you're you know johnny on the spot you know you're you're at a lot of events you i i i don't think i'm going out on a limb to say that i think you genuinely love people yes i i that's a great point um i you know i was born and raised in new bedford i saw horrible things when i was a little kid in a tough area came to the cape to become a police officer serve protect that's real that's how yeah. i was built and, um, but I didn't see this. Uh, others said, no, we, we saw this in you. Like you, yeah. you're a 
good person to be in this position mm. because you you are a people person. Right. You're willing to listen. And and what I say is like the three L's. I listen, I learn, then I lead. It's my mm. job to lead and and serve and also protect. Part of us is as lawmakers, we should be protecting people. And I think that's what might drive some of them to think we had these shootings, so let's make another law. Right. We've already in Massachusetts is different. We have background checks. People say, well, we need to do universal background. We already do that. Right. Uh, we need to have locks on our guns. We already do that. Like right. a lot of people don't realize that Massachusetts has already done basically everything you should uh, consider that's passed. And I, it's the danger is to take it further. Right. Well, I say it's dangerous to take it as far as it's been, yes, been taken now. Yes, some people would say that, yes. And the, the reason is, if you're just going to continue to blame the object for the problem, you're never going to reach a real solution. I, I always say that these are all solutions in search of a problem. Huh. Yeah. You know, the Senate bill, one of the things in the Senate bill is, so they're trying to close what I they probably deem as a loophole, right? So since we were told in 2016 we can't sell ARs anymore, which was a new and different way of interpreting the law that we have on the books that no attorney general interpreted when it was the law for the entire country from 94 to 2004. There wasn't a single attorney general in all 50 states that saw it the way that our attorney general saw it when she decided to make it a uh, a new law. And I say she acted as judge, jury, and executioner in one fail swoop or all three, uh, all three um, branches of government at the same time. Who was the attorney general? It was a Maura Healy. So she's now our governor. So I said all that to say this is that, um, you know, uh, we have laws on the books today that I believe are in direct violation of the Constitution. And we blame the object and never get to the root of the problem. So in the Senate bill, the one of the end arounds we've had to Maura Healy's edict from 20, 2016 is we make something called a fixed mag AR-15. So one of the things that is in, is foundational for something to be deemed an assault weapon under the Massachusetts law is the fact that it has a detachable magazine. So if it doesn't have a detachable mag, it can't be considered an assault weapon. Mm -hmm. And so we sell fixed mag AR-15s. The mag doesn't come out. It holds 10 rounds. You got to hinge the action of the gun open and top load the magazine, close it and put the pin in or use some other device that loads through the ejection port. But at either case, it only holds 10 rounds and it can't be considered an assault weapon. So now the Senate understands there's shops like mine that are doing this. So they're gonna change the law and say, if you make a fixed magazine rifle, it has to be limited to five rounds. <laughs> and it's like, in order for a law to be passed, if you look at the history of our country, it had to have a concrete reason that if they don't pass it, the potential for harm amongst the greater good of people is is there it's going to be a catastrophic if 
you, the legislature, doesn't do something about this. That doesn't meet that criteria when you're, I said, what, what problem are we trying to solve by this? Are there people being mowed down on the streets every day in Massachusetts by fixed mag AR-15s that only hold 10 rounds? The answer is no. Correct. You, you yourself said they, they can't point to a problem of licensed gun owners or responsible legal gun owners having, you know, mowing people down in the streets. That's not the issue we have in Correct. our society. So I had a, a, to, just to yeah. cut in, it made me think of, I had someone uh, testify uh, in the state house. You might have been there. Um, and her point was she's tired of seeing uh, she we need should, we should have uh, safe zones, in her opinion, because she's tired of seeing everybody with guns when she goes to vote. And I like where uh, have we seen people with guns when you go to vote in Massachusetts? This woman was afraid, afraid of guns. And I like the way that you work with people to try to educate them and realize, you know, how they work and they don't just do horrible things. It's the person. But this person, I don't know. I don't remember ever seeing when I went to vote, people standing around with guns in Massachusetts, except a police officer. Right. Yeah. Now, people can have guns, but they're not standing around with them, you know. But in her mind, that's why we needed to do this. It's insanity because, you know, I can't tell you how many times, you know, who knows how many people carry a gun and that's the way it should yes. be. Like, I the, <laughs> The whole point of, um, you know, concealed carry, in my opinion, is keep the bad guys guessing. Don't draw <laughs> a target on your back. But I'm like, what could be more un-American than trying to prohibit while exercising one of your constitutional rights, prohibit another constitutional right? Yeah. And, and, and that's why I, we have to educate the masses, the regular yeah. people, uh, and also the legislatures and also, remember, uh, we're lopsided. And I think that's a factor in Massachusetts. There are 200 elected officials in the Commonwealth. I'm so proud to be one of them. But out of 200, there's 28 Republicans. Mm. So it's 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 called a supermajority. It's way out of balance. Right. So you're not actually hearing from everybody. It needs to be more balanced mm. so we can debate and we can find common ground. Uh, right now, there's too much power in one party. Yeah. And that power is definitely wielded, uh, I would say, very efficiently. Um, you know, the you saw it. Yeah, I did see it. And uh, there's there's, you know, it's once something gets put into motion, it's very difficult to stop it if they want it to happen. The leadership wants it to happen. It's. It's very difficult. And, uh, you know, that I think is some work we have to do here in Massachusetts. Um, I think that the good news for us gun owners is um, we're contrary to what we saw in 2008 after the Heller decision. The Bruin decision has massive wins stacking up across the country. Uh, right now, there's four cases being sought before the Supreme Court on assault weapons ban and magazine capacity ban cases. And, um, you know, they didn't say it, but when I was meeting with those senators, some one of the impressions I felt was they're a little nervous that anything they do with this bill, the Senate bill 
or even the, and I have heard from people who are for the laws that we have in this state now that are nervous that once the challenge happens to the new set of laws, that everything goes away. And I said, that's a very real hmm. and uh, thing. You're you're hundred percent right. Cause I do believe it will happen. Or in the meantime, uh, it looks like the, there's a bill in Maryland. I think it was Bianchi v. Brown. Uh, it used to be Bianchi v. Frosch when it first got to the Supreme Court. And uh, it was GVR. It was granted certiorari. It was remanded back to the Fifth Circuit. And it was their, their earlier upholding of Maryland's assault weapon ban was vacated. And they said, get it right now in, line of, in light of the Bruin decision. So this bill is now being petitioned uh, back to the Supreme Court because the Fifth Circuit is sitting on it. Uh, or maybe it's the Third Circuit. I, I apologize. I can't remember which one it is. Hmm. I think Maryland is Third Circuit. And uh, they are uh, they are sitting on it. They are not doing anything. In fact, they had all the oral arguments before a three-judge panel uh, of the Third Circuit Court of Appeals. And within it, it took like a year for that to happen. And about a couple of weeks before, like their decision was due to come out, they the on banc panel stepped in and said, "Forget the three judge panel. We're going to hear this case on banc," and that just wasted a year. And now they haven't even set up oral arguments for this case yet. So they're slow walking, they're stalling. It's a technique they're using, and so now the litigants are basically trying to overstep the on banc panel and go straight to the Supreme Court. And there's three other cases out of Illinois that are looking to be heard. Uh, a Massachusetts case is probably five years away. And we have a California case that's probably a year or two away. But uh, so the, the point I'm trying to make is I think all of this is going to be made right in the end in the courts. The problem is we have to live with the results in the meantime. Amen. People say, well, that's unconstitutional, right? And um, it probably is, right. but in somebody's mind, it, it isn't, right. right? And that law gets passed and now we have to fight it and it's years later. I don't want to see that. I, I would like to see this just stop, right? like we talked about earlier, and take take some time to look at who's committing crime and let's go after them. It's not that hard. Right. And if you sent the message that, hey, if you have a weapon and you use it in a crime and you're convicted, you will be punished. Right now, the truth is that doesn't always happen. Or if it does, it's a slap on the wrist. Or if it does, it's three years later. Look what just happened with Michael Chesner, a Army veteran, fought for our country, became a Weymouth police officer. He was shot to death in the streets of his hometown on a Sunday morning mm. who, by a shooter who uh, was a criminal and also shot a woman, killed two people. And it took us six years to find that person guilty. Six years. And it just happened last week. Mm. And remember, that was months after Sean Gannon was murdered. So in 2018, two of my brothers were shot to death, not by people with licenses to carry, by criminals. Mm. And uh, and they kind of got away with it in a way. And that's what we have to stop. Yeah. And I think you bring up a great point. Um, 
we just saw a whole bunch of that going down. We just talked about the KC Super Bowl parade. How about a few weeks ago, we had the kid in Times Square. Oh, my God. Shot at a security guard. Mm -hmm. Number one, he's a legal alien. Mm -hmm. Number two, he's underage. Number three, he's got a gun in a gun-free zone. Right? There There's your security yes, safe yes. place. And number four, he's shooting people in broad daylight. And it's like, so what other law could you have passed that would have prevented that? Great point. And I think there are law, like, that's what we do. We're lawmakers. Uh, and most of them have never been a police officer. They're just, right. they become a legislator. So some of them are really, in, their, in a way, trying to do the right thing. They're trying to make us safer, but they're going down the wrong road. And uh, some of those we can reach, some of them we can't. And that's why, uh, Toby, I'm telling you, when you came to Boston, that's important. Mm. And when these two bills come back up, whether they're at a conference committee or at another vote, we've got to get just regular people to come and express yeah. their concerns, reach out to the legislators. That's how it works. And I have other people say, oh, it's not worth it. Right. You got you to gotta get in the game. You know that... Uh they were shocked to hear, I don't know if you heard it or not, but um, a couple weeks ago, we had a guy get convicted in Massachusetts. Uh, he was a FedEx driver. He was stealing guns from the, his delivery route and selling them on the black market. And fortunately, he was selling them to an undercover FBI agent. Uh, and But here's the crime. Guy doing criminal acts stealing guns from his own delivery route and guess how many days he serves i i don't know six that's what he got six days time served and oh released God. so that's my point yeah right and a regular let's say a decent person learns their lesson like when you make a mistake but others realize like the killer of sean gannon I'll never say his name. Mm -hmm. I know him. We call him 125, 125 prior crimes on his record. That's only the times he got caught. Right. Right. There's people that figure out, wow, this is revolving to a justice. If I commit 17 break-ins, I'll get charged. It'll be whittled down to two. Yeah. And instead of getting 20 years, I'll get one. So uh, that's an example. And the average person out there, thinks that the laws are being enforced. They are by the police, but the eventual punishment is where we're lacking. Yeah, and uh, the incredible thing on, along those lines, very consistent with what you just said, a Lynn man was sentenced last week uh, for he um, broke into a home and sexually assaulted uh, somebody uh, in Jamaica Plain. And... Uh, he was sentenced to 16 to 18 years, which sounds like, okay, finally they got a good sentence mm -hmm. on a guy. Uh, but guess what? He had a 197 yes. prior convictions. Yes, that's why he got what he got. That's not charges. <laughs> yes. That's prior convictions. Wow. And it is unbelievable that that guy is still walking the streets. And that's where... The average citizen doesn't realize that. And remember, in Massachusetts, law enforcement is not allowed to tell you someone's record. Yeah. So when I was a police officer, we would arrest someone for the 220th charge. And we couldn't tell anyone that that's what happened. It's 
It's privacy rights. So again, most people are good, I believe, uh, and they're not committing the crimes, or if they do, they learn their lesson. But with this, these, this, these people like that, they need to be taken off the street right. because we need to be protected. Yeah, yes. that's, the, that's what I mean. Government is failing the people because they aren't uh, doing their job. You're, the police were doing their job, rounding them up for the 50th, 60th, yes. 100th time. And then the, the justice system fails. I was talking to uh, Chaplain Dave Robbins over at Barnesville County House of Correction. He said there's about 150 inmates right now on a state-of-the-art, beautiful facility that costs how many hundreds of millions to build a couple, you know, 20, 15, not even that, mm -hmm. like 10 years ago, right? They can hold 550 inmates. There's 150 people there right now. Oh, I know all about it. I just was speaking with uh, a man that's in charge of the Mass Correctional Officers Association. <laughs> the Massachusetts state prisons are half empty. Yeah. They're just closing two of them. So people would think, May, oh, wow, crime is down. No. <laughs> and uh, it's tough. Uh, we're putting more violent criminals in a smaller space if they are convicted. I'll, I'll tell you, I... I uh, my heart goes out to the law enforcement, public safety, firefighters, EMTs. Don't forget the corrections people. Right. That's a tough environment to work into. Yeah. You know, you want to talk about, you know, we talked about the Second Amendment being treated like a second class right. Well, I believe that some of the sheriff's deputies in this state get treated like a second class police corrections or police officer or officer because you know, I know of a guy who has a gun store that sold a corrections officer a Glock pistol and Maura Healy's office charged him with selling a gun uh, to a non-law enforcement. Wow. Yeah, The guy carries a gun on duty when he's doing prisoner transport. So we're, we're going to punish that person instead of the criminal. Right. And that's what's wrong. And that's where the focus should be. And, you know, remember Matt Tidman, that's one of my bills, Matt's law, Matt Tidman, corrections officer on duty in Massachusetts. And uh, while he's watching the inmates, one of them who's a convicted murderer takes a steel bar from the weight room and beats Matt nearly to death. He crushed his skull. He beat him nearly to death with a exercise equipment. Uh, Matt lived. He came to Boston with his his family to testify on Matt's law, which I filed that says, listen, there should be no free weights in any prison. Right. But people should exercise. That's great. You can use body weight. You can use other stuff, but no free weights. And to I'll tell you, uh, Toby, I've seen a lot. I've seen two of my brother officers shot and killed. Um, uh, you know, my own son lost in the war. But to be on a committee and look at Matt Tidman testify, whose half of his skull is missing, hmm. he's blind and, and deaf on his right side, and he's testifying to try to get us, the legislature, to do a common sense thing. Right. Yeah, it's crazy. I, uh, it's like criminal justice is sometimes a little too weighted in the criminals justice end of things right Amen. you know between 
giving them weight rooms and and never mind. Don't get me going on uh, uh, taxpayer funded uh, sex change operations and everything else. It's <laughs> it's it's nuts. But you brought in a uh, a big yeah. a big card. Do you want to tell us about yes, that? Yes. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Over the weekend, Canine uh, Leo, a police canine in Florida, came to the rescue of his partner, just like Canine Nero did with Sean Gannon. And Canine uh, Leo was shot in the line of duty over the weekend because of Nero's law that we passed in Massachusetts that trained uh, medics to give a dog first aid and put it in an ambulance. Florida passed the same law. So over the weekend, Leo was treated and transported in an ambulance. And we were praying for him. And we had a get well card at my campaign kickoff Tuesday night where everybody was going to sign it to get well. Mm. But canine Leo died mm. because he was shot by a criminal. Right. So I have a card. It's a giant card with me. And I'm getting as many people as we can to sign it. And we'll send it to Florida. I have office hours tomorrow. So I'll be in uh, West Barnstable. I'll be in Sandwich. And I'll be in Bourne all day if someone could stop by and sign the card. Because we want people all across the country to know that we stand up for our public safety people. That includes the dogs. Mm. Amen to that. I'll sign that. I'll be happy to sign that. And uh Steve, if you don't mind indulging me one question from a listener here yes, sir. who says, uh, and this is something I'm genuinely curious about. You might not be able to answer it, but mm. do you have any comment or do you have any idea why Bruce Tarr ended up signing on to the Senate bill? That's a great question. Yeah, mm. he's the minority party leader in the Senate. So there's right. 40 senators. Four of them are Republicans. Bruce Tyre is my friend. He's the most senior of the four. He spoke against the bill during that right. testimony. And then at the end, he voted for it. That's a great question. He did explain it. There was a letter that he posted, and I, I briefly read it. But uh, you'd have to ask him. I, uh, I definitely uh, would love to. You know, that's the part of, that that creates skepticism in my mind. You know, you hear a guy who's pounding against it the whole time and then votes for it. It's like sometimes you can get stuck in that situation where like it's a big bill and, uh, you know, we've made it less bad. And then you say, OK, well, I'll vote for it because it's better than it was. You know, mm -hmm. I don't know if that's the case, but uh, then you have others like the other three that said, no, this is bad. And yeah, maybe it's not as bad as it was going to be, but it's bad. Yeah. So you vote against it, but you lose because the numbers aren't there, but you've got to stand your ground. Right. And when you're right, you're right. Yeah. I'm like, man, we got four Republican senators and we can't even get them to stand together arm in arm. And like, yeah. And, with and the, especially the leader Yeah, in the know. house, we had, we have 24 uh, Republicans. All of us stood together and 13 Democrats. Right. Um, so it, it, it's not always along party lines. It's what's common sense. It's what, it's what right, what's right. And you can't fall to the pressure. Right. My skepticism says that, you know, they said, Hey, if you like what committee you're leading, 
or if you want to be on this committee next yeah no that would not happen with bruce no. todd no uh, and as a republican remember republicans are never in charge of any committee right but uh, just getting to sit on one is a privilege right? It, it is and i'm on four of them but i don't get paid extra to do it it's just part of your job but if you're the chairperson uh, you get paid extra so sometimes there's that pressure like hey we'll take you off that that can happen mm. but uh, that wouldn't be Bruce, in, in my opinion. I, I don't know why he did it, um, but he did explain it. I don't know if you read what he wrote. I, I didn't see it. Yeah, no. there is a letter where he explained it. Maybe we can pull it up and show yeah, people. That's a good idea. Yeah, we'll look into that because that, I think, is important. But to me, it was extremely disappointing, especially when, the way it started out where he basically said, um, you know, uh, this shouldn't be voted on now. It didn't get a proper hearing. It didn't have its... You know, a what, good what, point. Don't forget yeah. that. Right. Imagine right. we're making this massive bill and possible law without hearings. Right. Like I you know. you saw it when you came and I'm so proud you did. And 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 it, that shouldn't be happening. Uh, and we can talk all day. The right to shelter law. Right. That's right. a huge issue. And I filed a bill to fix it and they won't hear it. So uh, how do you fix it? You get good people to run for office with common sense and, uh, and, and make more balance in government. Yeah. With that being said, you're a good guy running for office. So how can people support your campaign? How can they follow your work? Yeah. I, et cetera, et cetera. Thank you. Follow on Facebook, social media. We have 16,000 followers. That's powerful mm -hmm. because we can put the word out on anything and it doesn't cost anything, you know, for me to mail, let's say 16,000 people, Someone has to pay for that, right? So social media is helpful for us. I try to post all the things that are going on, especially the bills. Um, come to, you know, standouts, come to our events. It'll all be posted on the page. We had almost 100 people on a Tuesday night in February. And, you know, when we do an event, we, we sing the national anthem. We do the Pledge of Allegiance. We, we... We really do what I think most people expect us to do is to be transparent, be honest. Uh, to me, it's all about integrity. And uh, we need more of that in government. Amen to that. And uh, well, I thank you very much, Steve, for coming in tonight. And uh, we will do this again. Uh, it's an honor to do it with you, Toby. Uh, I'm heading to Mashpee and Falmouth after this. Nice. Uh, <laughs> so you are, you, you're busier than a one-legged man in a butt kicking contest uh but i appreciate you and uh we will certainly do it again especially after the committee gets seated yes, or something it'd be like important that as yeah. an education let's get the word out there. yeah absolutely all right well i appreciate you and uh i appreciate you guys for listening faithfully every week we uh uh couldn't do it without you i i appreciate your passion for the second amendment and for uh everything you do to make the world a better place so uh you guys are awesome and you're my heroes and so keep it up and we will see you next week for sure and um same bat time same bat channel don't forget this sunday from noon to one rapid fire on wxtk we will be live on the iheart radio app and we'll be live on this channel so we'll, we'll keep that going as well so God bless you all. Have a great weekend. I will see you Sunday on Rapid Fire on WXDK. Take care.